Atheist Talk on KTNF, AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Good morning to all of you joining us locally by radio and streaming online. We appreciate you tuning in. Today is Sunday, February 17th, 2019. My name is Maddie Love. With me in studio is my good friend and fellow member of Minnesota Skeptics, Rachel Lentz. And we, Lent, I totally messed up your name already. Rachel Lentz. It's okay. (laughs) We're excited to be joined by author and podcaster, Fraser Kane. Fraser is the publisher of Universe Today. He co-hosts Astronomy Cast with Dr. Pamela Gay. He is the host of the YouTube series Guide to Space, and he just released a fantastic book, The Universe Today, Ultimate Guide to Viewing the Cosmos, Everything You Need to Know to Become an Amateur Astronomer. This is an open conversation. We welcome a courage listener interaction with your phone calls to 952-946-6205, your emails to radio at mnatheist.org, or tweet us at Atheist Talk. Fraser, thank you so much for waking up early on a Sunday morning. No problem. I had nowhere else to go. Uh, thanks for having me. Because yeah, it's it's what like seven a.m. where you are. Yeah, yeah. But no, I'm I'm usually up way earlier than this, so this is no problem. Yeah, I grew up in Western Washington, so I'm still a little jealous every time I hear because like the area that you're in, because it's like oh that's not quite home, but it's close. Yeah, it's it's about the same, but not right now. Right now, it's all everything's covered in snow and it's raining, so it's uh, yeah. Wait wait for the summer. <laughs> no, I'll take it year round. Uh, so like, I guess compared to Minnesota, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was actually flipping through your YouTube uh, uh, series, and one of them was Absolute Zero, and I'm like, huh. I think we came close. I think we <laughs> yeah. came close. Yeah. Not Colder really than Mars. <laughs> yes, right it's now, negative sixty three. That's like, and that's Fahrenheit, not Celsius. So oh. I didn't convert that. That's not right. <laughs> no. Uh, so, like, honestly, this is weird. I, I have had your voice on my earbuds, my car speakers, playing on speakers at work for, like, I don't know, over 10 years. And like, because I came in around, like, episode 40. And, Whoa. Well, yeah, because you just did, what, episode Classic. 518? Yeah, we, yeah, we're in the 500s now. Yeah. So, like, before we delve into your book, I, I really just wanted to say thank you for, like, sharing so much knowledge over the years. No problem. Happy to do it. <laughs> and I appreciate that. Um, so the title of your book, The Universe Today, Ultimate Guide to Viewing the Cosmos, Everything You Need to Know to Become an Amateur Astronomer. When a re- when somebody goes to the bookstore or buys this online, like what can a reader expect to find when they crack open this beautiful hardcover like book that it's like well, sitting in front of me and I'm in, I'm already enjoying? I describe it. I mean what it looks like. It looks like sort of like a Dungeons and Dragons book. <laughs> Except it's a little bit shorter, right? So it's like the you know it's the dungeon master's guide to space. But um, yeah, no, it, I mean the goal with this book was to was to like people have, want to get into astronomy, but there's all these questions, right? It feels like there's these big hurdles. What gear do you get? Where do you look? What should you be looking for? And and how can you take the kinds of pictures? that you see on astronomy picture of the day and things like that. And so our goal is to take a person from zero through all the terminology, through all of the different kinds of gear to picking what they're going to want to what kinds of objects to, to look at in the night sky. And then even how you can use a lot of the more modern tools with the internet to be able to, um, you know, find out when the International Space Station is going to be flying overhead or how to find out when there's aurora activity going on, or how to chase meteor showers and then interesting projects that you can do, how to build your own telescope, uh, backyard observatory, and even get involved in, in some science. So there's a couple names on this book uh, besides yours. There's a foreword by 
maybe my favorite astronomer, Dr. Pamela Gay. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. this guy named David Dickinson that I've never heard of, but I'm now I have. Can you tell yeah. us a bit more about like how these voices sure. came about and how the book came about? Yeah, well, Pamela wrote the the foreword, and of course, she's my co-host on Astronomy Cast, and and my favorite astronomer as well. So, uh, professional astronomer, and so she was gracious enough to to help you know help bring people in on the in the beginning of the book. Dave Dickinson is our. Um, covers the amateur astronomy beat on Universe Today, which is the website that I publish. And so every week, Dave usually writes one, two articles about things you can see in the night sky, comets that are coming by, interesting occultations, how to get the most out of the lunar eclipse, things like that. And a couple of years ago, Dave started to write a everything that you're going to be able to see this year articles like like highlights for 2016 highlights for 2017 and then in 2000 and at the end of 2017 we tried writing a sort of a, a an online book an ebook of everything that would be out for 2018 i think it was 2017. I forget exactly when we did this and when it turned into a real book. Um, and that was really well received. And so um, we pitched to the the idea of doing like an actual proper book to a, to a publisher and they and they liked it. And so that came out uh, about four months ago was the actual was the actual book. So Dave, Dave Dickinson is just like all he writes about is is amateur astronomy. So he was the perfect guy to work on the book with. Seems like it. Yeah. So I, I I have an eight inch job, uh, and I love showing folks the next guy. I always get questions like from people I run into, like especially when I'm doing beginner special interest group stuff, and like you know like where do I start? And I used to say you know grab turn left at Orion. It's still an amazing book. It's a good reference material. But your book your book has supplanted that now as my nice. first recommendation. But what books did like a young Fraser Kane use to start navigating around the night sky? Because you've been doing this for a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, when I was a teenager, I, I, my book was called Night Watch. Was the one that I used to get into, and uh, by Terrence Dickinson, and it's a fantastic book. I still really love it, and it had really nice star charts and lists of things that I could see over the course of of the seasons, and so. I used that book and and sort of burned through it with my telescope to find as many of the objects. And it's funny. I mean, a lot of my knowledge about astronomy is the stuff like just what to see in the night sky. I, I learned that stuff when I was a, a teenager. And still, I mean, I go outside and I look up at the stars and it's not just a bunch of stars. I mean, it's I recognize all my constellations. I know where all of the various objects that you can see in a small telescope are. It's it's a very familiar place to me whenever I go outside and look up. And it's it's amazing how how that can happen, you know, that you can with a little bit of time and a little bit of just going out and and with intention going, okay, I'm gonna find you know, I know that these constellations are up tonight. Now I'm gonna find them. Oh, there's that's Andromeda. That's Orion. That's Aries you start to learn all of their positions and then and then they are the larger milestones for the for the the smaller objects where the andromeda galaxy is where the great globular cluster in hercules the orion nebulas and so on and and that that knowledge never goes away and and now you become that person who you know when you're out with a bunch of friends and and orion is up or the 
you can point that out to your friends and go, oh, there, there's the, there's the North Star, right? right? And and I think that, and it's great because it, it never leaves you, right? Once you learn it, then it's there forever. Yeah, I actually haven't been out, unfortunately, like with my telescope in like almost a year. But I'll still like when I pick up night shifts at work, I'll go outside on a break and it's like I can just stare at the sky and I still remember like I still know where all of this stuff is. Yeah. If I had a scope, I could still just find it. Yeah, and, and that so eight-inch telescope is perfect. It's my it's like the kind of telescope that I recommend to everybody pick up first because you with almost no sort of there's no hassle. You just take the thing. There's Saturn. You grab the front of the telescope, turn it over, turn it over, and point at Saturn. Look through the eyepiece, and with an eight-inch Dobsonian, it's a it's a perfect view of of Saturn and Jupiter and Mars and the moon and some of those brighter objects that you can see in the night sky. It's a, it's a great telescope. But I, I, you know, if anyone asks me which telescope do I start with, you own it already. <laughs> so like in, when you're looking, I guess, so my first, my first telescope telescope, unfortunately wasn't that one. It was a three inch department store reflector telescope. Oh yeah. <laughs> it was on an unstable tripod. Uh, the eyepiece maybe had a field of view. I could maybe see the whole moon in, but, like, I made it work, and I, just, I remember this, like, the Christmas night I had it. I was, I was like, in my mid-20s. That's how old I was. But, like, I'm going outside, and and I finally found Saturn, and I was just like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's and that's one of my favorite experiences is to take the telescope, point it at Saturn, and show a person who's never seen it before because it just – it blows their mind. Because you can see it, like it's there, and you can see sort of the atmospheric turbulence, and so it so it feels very present, and and yet you can absolutely see that ring. You can see with with an eight inch, you can see those gaps, the in the the in the rings, and some of its uh, brighter moons. It's a it's an amazing experience. Yeah, the the group that Rachel and I are part of, Minnesota Skeptics, um, we took a field trip to one of the observatories owned by the Minnesota Astronomical Society. And I bring my granddaughter with. She's like 13 or 14 at the time. And she's looking through the big refractor at Saturn. And she's like looking back at me asking like, did you guys put a sticker on this? Yeah, I know. We get that too. It's like, is this real? Is this – am I looking at a screen? What? No, 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 no. Like this is – you are seeing what Galileo saw. Yeah. That's so that's so mind blowing to me. That was my first experience. Also, Um, I uh, with really astronomy in general, um, I was in like eighth grade, I want to say, and we took a a school field trip at night to one of the local parks. And we looked up and it was it was focused on Saturn. And I think the thing for me was 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 seeing the shadow of the rings on on Saturn itself. And it was just like for some reason, that particular aspect of it was was really what solidified um, my my love of, of of space at that time. Yeah, and and right now, I mean, last summer was the best planetary year we've had in a while. This summer will be good too. You know, Mars was at its closest point, and so Mars was really bright. Jupiter was great. Saturn was great. You could see all of them at the same time. There was a, a few nights you could see all the planets on the same at the same time. They were all up: That's... Mercury, Venus, Saturn, Jupiter. Uh, uh, Mars were all visible. That is and, so awesome. We are actually yeah. um, just need to run into our first commercial break. Um, so I hope you can stick around with us for about two and a half minutes. Mm-hmm. All right. So please stay us with the break. Rachel and I will return to Atheist Talk with Fraser Kane discussing his book, The Universe Today, The Ultimate Guide to Viewing the Cosmos. You're listening to AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. 
Welcome back to AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. You're tuned in Atheist Talk. I'm your host, Maddie Love, in studio by <laughs> joined in studio by Rachel Lenz. And in just a moment, we'll return to Fraser Kane, co-host of Astronomy Cast and publisher of Universe Today, who has just released a new book, The Universe Today, Ultimate Guide to Viewing the Cosmos, Everything You Need to Know to Become an Amateur Astronomer. Maybe you've already picked up this book, and now after doing some online shopping or walking through Barnes & Noble, you're hungry and need a place to sit and thoroughly enjoy Fraser's book. Might I recommend cucumbers in a restaurant in Edina, Minnesota? You see, Atheist Talk is produced with funding from Minnesota. Yeah, funding from Minnesota Atheist and Cucumbers Restaurant in Edina. And Cucumbers is a great place to enjoy a buffet so expansive you'll be reminded of, of the Virgo cluster. Yeah, that was that one took a while. Don't read. That was a terrible joke. Um, so anyway, please consider visiting our sponsors. And if you do, let them know that you appreciate their support of Atheist Talk. And if you'd like to advertise in this program and help keep us on the air, please contact us at radio at mnatheist.org. And now, back to Fraser Kane. If you'd like to get involved in the conversation, you can call us at 952-946-6205, email us at radio at mnatheist.org, or tweet us at Atheist Talk. Rachel, on to you. <laughs> so, um, Fraser, I just first of all, I just wanted to, to thank you, like Maddie had thanked you earlier, um, for doing this for so long and so thoroughly. Um, just communicating about space and specifically with astronomy cast, your work with Dr. Pamela Gay. Um, it's, I, I was initially inspired by the universe back in middle school, but I, I sort of fell off the wagon a little bit, uh, in the throes of life as you know, you grow up in teenagehood and everything into early adulthood. But, um, I actually was re-inspired to learn more about the universe as we know it because of your podcast, um, because of Astronomy Cast, and it actually um, led to me being able to talk. I met this this wonderful man um, <laughs> at a Minnesota Skeptics event, and we were able to talk for about eight hours uh, about wow. space. And he is now my husband. Nice work. Yeah. So, so we are responsible for your marriage. Yes. Yeah. Uh huh. In in a way. Yeah. So it thank was, you. It was written in the stars. I'll take it. it. Was. I'll take it. That's great. Uh, you're welcome. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> That's wonderful. Um, so I actually have a few questions. Um, I guess one of the first ones I'm curious about is how do you and Pamela decide on what to talk about for Astronomy Cast? Uh, there's two ways we go. Um, one is I send her – like I have a list of topic ideas and I'm – whenever the bucket starts to get low, I just I just brainstorm another 50 and so there's a great big list of topics that she gets to choose from. And she is – you can sort of see some of them she's not that interested in talking about. <laughs> so they've been there for a couple of years. Um, uh, others she uh, she gets into right away. That's the sort of the main way that we get topics. And then the other way is she comes up with some idea and she – throws them in there. And you can often tell which one is which because mine are very utilitarian. So mine will be a topic like fast radio bursts and Pamela's will be something like the day the universe tried to declare <laughs> war on us. <laughs> right. And so and she because she's got some really interesting piece of of space history that she's trying to, you know, that she's just discovered and, and has and wants to communicate it. And so we'll we'll go down that that pathway. But uh, and it's, you know, a, a lot of it is. It's very easy. The job is very easy for me, right? Because all I have to do is just ask a bunch of questions and just be curious and follow my, you know, the path wherever it goes. 
for Pamela, it's a lot harder because she has to know everything and answer everything. And so uh, a lot of the times it, you know, which topics we're choosing depends on how deeply this stuff is in her, her wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. And, I'm, I'm amazed at, at how much knowledge she has then. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, I mean, it's bottomless. <laughs> well, it was weird. Like it took me a, a few, a few episodes to realize that like Frazier knew more than he was letting on when he was asking <laughs> questions. It's like, yeah, Frazier knows what he's talking about too. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, you know, my, my job is to wrangle her, right? (laughs) That to be the, to be the, the interested, uh, amateur who, who wants to know more and to stop her when, and, and, and try to re-explain what she said or, or to follow the path or to ask the question, the obvious question. And I think that's the, where I, I really enjoy is when people say, and Fraser just asks the question that I would have wanted to ask, right? <laughs> oh. Which is like she'll explain something, but she'll miss some part or some part will be obvious to an astronomer. But for me, I'll be like, wait a minute, what? How does this work? <laughs> and I will, I will follow up with, with additional questions. And and as I learn more, that gets harder because I start to fall into that same trap of of like, oh, well, you know, this is obvious. Everyone knows this when everyone doesn't. And and so it's funny as I definitely as I've gained my education through astronomy cast, I have to work harder and so to to keep, to maintain, to remember and make sure that I get her to cover the material so that a person who is new to this topic can feel like they've brought themselves up to speed. And so that's my job is to, is to, is to, is to produce live as we do the show. Sure. That actually is a good segue to my next question. Um, cause I'm curious, how do you ensure that the science you're looking at, whether in astronomy cast or anywhere in universe today or any of your other creative outlets, how do you ensure that it gets communicated both accurately and clearly, um, but still is understandable to a lay audience? Well, that's the magic, right? I mean, that's the that's the thing that's taken me 20 years of science reporting to, I hope, be good at that, that you and you can see it's like a lot of people try to communicate stuff in science, especially people who maybe it's not their main job. They're they're a reporter for some for CNN or whatever, but they're also having to cover a, a piece of space news and they will get a lot of the science wrong because mm-hmm. they don't they just don't know all the details. And so you have to work, you know, I have been working on those two things simultaneously for 20 years. How do I make things, how can I take a very complicated topic and explain it in a way that a person understands deeply what is the news? What is the new thing that has been, that has been added to the scientific knowledge? And at the same time, not make a single scientific mistake through the entire <laughs> thing that I am creating, right? Yeah. And that is, and and both of those are are a challenge. Uh, and every and how do you you know, I, from the explaining part, that's just practice. I mean, we have whatever twenty five thousand stories on Universe Today now over the time that I've been doing this. You know, not just written by me, but all of our writing team. Uh, so you know, you just do the same thing again and again and again, and eventually you create patterns of ways to explain this stuff and then the scientific accuracy again that is practice and that is you learning every time like every time i say a thing there's a little subroutine in my brain that says is that thing scientifically correct Mm -hmm. and i know what i know for sure 
And then I also know the stuff that I am uncertain on. And for that uncertain stuff, I have ways of making sure that I am sure. And so I will double check and I'll check the original papers and I'll go to various original sources and just make sure that I that the number that I'm saying is correct or the way that I'm describing a thing is correct. Uh, and and then you learn from your audience. I mean, the one of one of the really great things about the about doing this stuff on say YouTube is the commenters. I know for everyone else, for everybody else, YouTube comments are this terrible wasteland of hate and filth. But but my comments are great. And whenever I make a mistake, I I'm able to incorporate that lesson back into all future explaining. And I find now and I don't Fra make Fraser, a lot. I'm going to have to cut you off. We're about to go into a break. I'm sorry. No um, problem. <laughs> please stay with us. I'm Matt Eleven Studio with Rachel Lenz, and you're listening to Atheist Talk on KTNF AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Thank you for tuning in to Atheist Talk on AM 950 KTNF. I'm your host, Maddie Love, in studio with Rachel Lenz, chatting with Fraser Kane, co-host of Astronomy Cast, publisher of Universe Today, who has a brand new book, The Universe Today, Ultimate Guide to Viewing the Cosmos, Everything You Need to Know to Become an, Am to become an Amateur Astronomer. That's a long title. If you'd like to chat with us this morning, you can call us at 952-946-6205, email us at radio at mnatheist.org, or tweet us at Atheist Talk. Before we continue with our conversation with Fraser, I want to thank our group of dedicated volunteers and the generous, generous donations of you, our listeners. You help keep Atheist Talk on the air and in podcast form. This week, we'd like to thank our special donor of the week, Cindy. If you're able to help with the donation, please consider doing so at our radio fund page or our Patreon, where you can get extended interviews at patreon.com slash atheistalk. Minnesota Atheist is a 501c3 tax-deductible organization. We couldn't do this show without you, and we deeply appreciate your support. Music for Atheist Talk is by composer and member Brent Michael David and is used with permission. Please note all opinions are of the guests and hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the Minnesota Atheist Organization. All right, mischief managed. Let's get back to Fraser Kane talking all things astronomy like his book. And Fraser, right before the break, I cut you off, unfortunately. Did you want to talk again about um, scientifically accurate YouTube comments, which to me seems like an oxymoronic <laughs> statement to begin with. But I have a feeling when they're your comments, they maybe have a little bit more weight. Yeah, no, I, like I said, my commenters are great and they slap my wrist whenever I make the smallest mistake and I'm able to incorporate their, their advice and corrections and it just makes me better. That's... That was the end. Oh, okay. Oh, I could have, I could have maybe. So, so in other words, I really enjoy, and I'm glad that I have YouTube comments. I know I'm the only person <laughs> I think on YouTube who says this, but I really enjoy the comments on my YouTube videos. So I have a question um, from one of our other members of Minnesota Skeptics who is listening, who texted me in. And um, he was wondering if you could explain the difference between the Hubble telescope and the James Webb Space Telescope. Sure. Uh, right. So the Hubble Space Telescope, this is the one that was launched back in the 90s um, and has been going strong for decades and decades. And Hubble is a 2.6 meter optical telescope. What it really can do is it it views, it's kind of like, like your telescope, right? Except it's 2.6 meters across. And it views from the near-infrared view through the visible light spectrum into the ultraviolet. And so when I mean, you imagine the whole electromagnetic spectrum, right, there's radio waves and microwaves and infrared on one side. Then you've got the visible spectrum and then you've got ultraviolet and then you've got X-rays and you've got gamma rays. So Hubble is right in the middle working like a regular telescope that we're familiar with here on Earth. James Webb 
is much, much bigger. I think it's six and a half meters across. So it's like you take, you know, if you look at it, it looks almost like someone built a grid of Hubble Space Telescopes. <laughs> it's a huge, huge instrument with this great big sun shield. But the trick with, with James Webb is it is a far infrared telescope. So it views a completely different wavelength of light than the Hubble Space Telescope does. It's looking for heat. In fact, it's looking for heat that is very close to zero, to absolute zero. So it's looking for, for some of the sort of the lowest temperatures that you can get out there. And the, the telescope has this sun shield that blocks the light from the sun. It has coolers on board designed to keep its temperature down, allowing it to be able to distinguish those cold temperatures. And what those are good for is when we think about the expansion of the universe, right? All of the parts of the universe are moving away from us at these tremendous velocities. And as you get farther and farther away, the cosmic microwave background, which which is the afterglow left over from the Big Bang, is the farthest that we can see. And this is where light has shifted to the microwave. So if you want to see stuff that's not quite as that far, the first galaxies that were forming, you want to look in this far infrared spectrum. And this is what the, this is, this is what James Webb is going to be able to do. It's also going to be able to look at other cool objects. And another example of this are planets that are orbiting other stars. So a planet is only going to be you know, is going to be relatively cool compared to the brightness of a star. And Hubble can't really be able to see these, but James Webb will have the capability to be able to see newly forming planets. The The other thing is that this, this wavelength allows you to peer through gas and dust. And so um, James Webb is going to be able to see through the dust that surrounds newly forming planetary systems and watch these planets as they're forming out of their solar nebulae. So it's, it's, it's a, it's a big question, right? What, how did the universe come together? How did these first galaxies form? How did they it form into the structures that we see today? And of course, the other big question is how do planetary systems come together? And these are the questions that James Webb is designed to ask. But unfortunately, it's not going to be able to do the same kind of thing that Hubble can do to be able to see these visible light uh, spectrum to be able to see into the ultraviolet. And so we need another monster telescope to follow with Hubble if we want to keep that work going. Are there plans for that? There are, yeah. There's an amazing telescope that's in, that's in the design stages right now called the Louvoir. It's the large ultraviolet optical infrared telescope. And so it will be following the same spectrum, spectra that that Hubble does, but it's going to be a, just an enormous telescope. The plans are somewhere between a 15 to an 18 meter telescope. So it will be, uh, <laughs> so much bigger, <laughs> right? <laughs> so bigger, so when you think about it, the biggest telescope on earth is a little over 10 meters across. So this would be a telescope that is almost twice as big as the biggest earth-based telescope today, but in space like Hubble. And that is, uh, and in theory, that should launch in the 2035s. Right now, NASA is working on their decadal survey where they pick all of the uh, instruments that, you know, all their, their science plans over the next decade. And then that, that defines the missions that they're going to work on. And this is one of them. Wow. I'm just thinking the James Webb Space Telescope hasn't launched yet. 
and but wasn't it supposed to have launched by now? Yeah, yeah. Uh, James Webb should have launched several years ago yeah. for uh, about a quarter of its current budget. So it is vastly over budget and it is very late. Right now, I think we're looking at 2021. Uh, and it just passed a new shake test. So um, they were able to test that it, that it can handle the rigors of the launch. And this time, a bunch of washers and bolts didn't show up on the ground after the shake test. So <laughs> I think they think it's... <laughs> It's ready, um, <laughs> but it still has to be put on a ship, carried down through the Panama Canal to the launch site in South America, the European Space Agency's launch site, bolted to the top of an Ariane 5 rocket and blasted off into space, has to make its way to the L2 Lagrange point and deploy. So w there's a lot of steps. Uh, the joke that I always make is sometime around the year 3000, but no, I think we're <laughs> we're about we're about two years away from from James Webb going up. We hope. Oh, and good. for anybody listening, if you're curious what an L2 Lagrange point is, or why a telescope in space works better than a telescope on the planet Earth and the atmospheric atmospheric effects, you should probably listen to astronomy. Yeah. There you astronomy go. Cast. Yeah, we talk about all this stuff. <laughs> Although we haven't done an episode on James Webb, Pamela has a has a. You know, she doesn't want to talk about spacecraft until they launch, until they're uh, safely in space. I have I, sure. I, on my guide to space. I talk about these things all the time because I love future telescopes. But Pamela, you know, she, she doesn't want to jinx it, so she wants to make sure that she uh, waits until these things are actually launched and doing some science before we we do a topic on them. Yeah, I actually, I mean, I should have known about your YouTube channel, Guide to Space. I know I've heard about it a lot. You know, from just reading universe today and i know you've you probably mentioned it on astronomy cast and but i for the life of me i had at last night was the first night i ever like sat down to look at it it was like 390 videos mm -hmm. and then i just started watching <laughs> it <was> like, <laughs> yeah it's a rabbit hole yeah <laughs> next thing it's so, three in the morning and you're you're still you're still going it, keeping your eyes open no it was one yeah. it was one oh, yeah <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah yeah but that was well, so you're well good. prepared for the for the uh for the interview <laughs> Well, I just liked how it it reminded me of Astronomy Cast and and your book in a way, in the way that like it was able to take like factoids and like talk about them enough to a, like a layperson, but at the same time be interested enough to somebody who had a, a modicum uh, of knowledge about astronomy, and just really well done. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're great. Um, I actually have uh, another question that uh, my husband wanted me to ask. Um, you had mentioned that um, that. A lot of science communication from journalists that maybe aren't steeped in science um, get a lot of the facts wrong. Um, can you recommend any news sources uh, science-focused science websites or news sources for other people? I mean, obviously there's Universe Today, right? But other places where people can, can also get more scientifically accurate news? Well, I mean – my knowledge is in the space realm. Mm -hmm. So uh, the sites that I really respect that I know about, right, are sites like um, uh, NASA Spaceflight um, is, a, is a really good one. I really like the coverage from Ars Technica. They're re they have a really good science reporting, and all the people there are, are quite knowledgeable. And then you can still trust things like Scientific American. Um, Phil Plate is doing a column. Is he over at Sci-Fi now? Mm -hmm. um, so I think that, but they, but it is harder and harder to find really good, dependable science reporting, um, and. 
And I don't follow a lot of the other kinds of science, right? Mm -hmm. The biology and the climate science and things like that. So unfortunately, I, I can't really tell you. No, that's, I mean, I, we're talking about space, so that's great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for but I think what's great is that you can follow all this stuff back to the source. Mm -hmm. that, that NASA, for example, is probably the best reporting <laughs> of NASA news. They have a great public relations team. They, they, they're press releases are scientifically accurate. And many times when you're seeing stories about NASA stuff, it's just people regurgitating NASA news, NASA press releases, and they produce amazing videos and mm -hmm. uh, they do great podcasts. Um, uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, maybe podcasting, there's, there's a lot of better sources. Hmm. It's interesting to me. Yeah. The, it's a, it's, it's pretty tough. I think right now it's a tough time to be in the news publishing game. Yeah, there's there's a, you know, there's a few astronomy. that seem to be have pulled it off. Things like I don't know the Huffington Post and BuzzFeed, yeah. although they all laid off a bunch of people. So yeah. I think for a lot of the traditional media, they're all hemorrhaging money, and there are probably other small uh, publishers like me. Uh, you know, like Universe Today is still the same size that it always has been, which is me working at my kitchen table or me working at my desk, right? <laughs> with with freelance writers. Okay. And I think that's a that's a sustainable model, but I don't know about a, what else is going on out there. Hmm. It's a bit right. of a bloodbath. So we have, we have just a minute left before our very last commercial break, and when we come back, I wanted to talk to you about like your journey to atheism, and also I wanted to ask you a little bit about flat earthers. And, oh and no, other, sure, yeah, well, no problem. Because like it seems it. it seems to like be growing. I don't want to say popularity. Um, but yeah, unpopularity <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. Growing unpopularity, yeah. Yeah. That sounds that's a good way to describe it. All right. So uh, it. <laughs> please stay with us for the break. You'll return to Atheist Talk on KTNF AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Welcome back to AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. You're tuned into Atheist Talk. I'm your host, Mighty Love, and joined in studio by Rachel Lenz. And on Skype is my favorite science podcaster, the co-host of Astronomy Cast, the publisher of Universe Today, who has just released a new book, The Universe Today, Ultimate Guide to Viewing the Cosmos, Everything You Need to Know to Become an Amateur Astronomer. Thanks for sticking around, Frazier. No problem. So going into is the it, break. This is going to be the good part, right? <laughs> yes. So we have like eight minutes left. And then All unfortunately, right. I won't have you on the air anymore. It's going to be kind of sad for uh, for us. But, you know. I'll come back anytime you need. I will probably hold you to that. <laughs> sure. No problem. You know, how to, you know how to book time in my calendar. Oh. Uh, you just... Even with your weird 7 a.m. schedule. But, yeah. <laughs> Oh my on God. Sunday. I was actually booking another guest who's over on the West Coast. He's a food historian. And he was like, I can't go on it. That's 7 a.m. It's California. I can't be on. I was like, okay, okay, well, we'll, we'll figure something out. <laughs> and at the same time, I was like, but Fraser's going to be on. Yeah. <laughs> and we had Shelly Seagal on, and she was calling from Australia. So <laughs> that's, the, that's the downside of living on a spherical Earth is that yes. we, uh, we have to experience different time zones. Nice segue. Or do we? <laughs> Oh, so, you know, I don't honestly understand why anybody thinks the earth is flat. And, and I've, I know that there are people that are probably just, you know, making it up. But they really don't believe the earth is flat. But I know there's a lot of people that really do. And I don't think they're stupid. They're just I, – could you help me understand this or are you having this problem understanding it too? I'm kind of tired of 
I'm trying <laughs> to understand it. And so I don't really – I mean I think that there is a lot of it is trolling. And I think a lot of it is people are are trying to make people believe it. And they don't actually believe it. Because it's almost like you need to be really sophisticated about how you ignore evidence to be able to to try and make this case. So I, th- I think a, I, I don't think you can really uh, minimize the amount of trolling and people just having a laugh that's actually going on. I think that's fair, but there's a great ep- podcast called Oh No with Ross and Carrie, and they go and talk to kind of like the John Ronson group uh, book them. They go yeah. and talk to people who have different you know beliefs or worldviews, and they actually went and talked to a flat Earth society. I don't know if it was the flat Earth society, but a, a group of flat Earthers in California. And they were up front. They weren't like lying to them about mm-hmm. the fact that they believe the earth is round. But they were like, these are these people, at least at this group, they're true believers. Right. And so I, and then I think the other part is that there is a large religious component to it. So I think that um, I see a lot, you know, for the YouTube comments that I don't like, uh, <laughs> a lot of them are this mix of flat earth and religious dogma that are mashed together into this hate screed that are thrown at me. And so it's, 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 it's the weirdest thing, but I will get these, these comments from people that are very, um, uh, mean and also, um, very sort of superior acting. Right. Uh, and then, and they'll say like, oh, you know, like, oh, what an idiot, you know, doesn't understand about the flat earth or blah, 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 you know, look it up, dummies, you know, that kind of thing. I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm convinced. So I, I think <laughs> it, it, it's, there is, and there is like this idea that there's, there's a firmament. And so I think that the, a lot of the fuel is this rejection of science and, and an attempt to bolster religious arguments for the universe and the same thing that goes on with say evolution versus creationism that that the creationists do definitely have an agenda which is that they're trying to minimize the impact that that atheism is going to have to religion and i think that that is and and obviously we know that's a losing battle right you can't (laughs) battle evolution the evidence is overwhelming um you know you're you're you're, the bacteria is evolving to uh, make you sick right now. <laughs> and so I think that – and to battle your, your uh, antibiotics. And, I've, and, and it feels like there's a lot of that as well, that there is this – they often seem very intertwined. And so that's – and then I think that when people present these arguments, you've got to decide – if you're having an argument with a person who is willing to listen to evidence, because if they're not right, then the argument is over. Mm -hmm. And so often what I do is a person comes onto my channel and goes, Hey, you dummies, you don't understand blah, 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 flat earth, research it. You know, there's, there's a firmament and there's no such thing and blah, blah, blah. And I just ban them because I'm not, I'm not interested in having a conversation with them. Like they're mean, you know, they're right out of the gate. They insulted me. Um, and they are clearly they're not going to have an, an argument. They're not willing to accept evidence. So what's the point? Right. What is the point of having a conversation with a person who's like, show me some evidence that we live in a round world. You're like, here's a piece of evidence. Like, I don't believe in evidence. Like, OK, <laughs> well, then, then then we are finished and and get out of my house because you're being a jerk. And and what's nice is I get to have that. And, and, and as I do this more. 
I am just, I'm less I'm less interested in in having these hopeless conversations with people, right? Either you're ready to have a conversation about evidence or you're not. And if you're not, then then come back when you are. And if when you want to have an actual conversation about evidence, then then it's on. But until then, and so that's that first. So I do find people that are on the fence where they've people have said things to them that have them a bit confused, and I can clear them up for them. But but I find that's actually more rare. All right. So I only have two and a half minutes left, which is the longest I've ever waited to ask a guest about the how how they became an atheist or anything about being an atheist. Because to be honest, until we were doing prep work for this show today. I didn't know you were an atheist. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think isn't that sort of the default for most people in the science communicating world? But um, uh, yeah, and my, I mean, my journey to atheist. I was really lucky. I was born atheist. So my parents, both my parents, were atheists, and so church religion wasn't something that ever existed in my household. Um, it, where I come from, I don't. I didn't know anyone who was religious. <laughs> right where I wow. live in Canada, on the west coast of Canada, on a small hippie island, um, <laughs> there there was a church, I think, um, and I had I think I knew one family that went to it, but apart from that, I didn't. Religion played no part in anybody's lives on the on where I grew up, and then and living in Vancouver, so none of my friends are religious. None of my uh, friends' parents were religious that I that that I knew of. And so for me, atheism is the natural state, wow, <laughs> and, so and it's just carried through. Yeah. And 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 as and I've I've become a born again atheist in that <laughs> I've once I started to understand the you know the the skeptic movement and the need for evidence for things, then it was it was able to reinforce my my lack of belief. Oh, yeah, it's so different. I mean, we're a pr- pretty progressive state in, in Minnesota. Minnesota, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but nonetheless, it's still like you can't throw a rock or swing a dead cat. Not that you yeah. can swing cats. My my <laughs> wife is from Texas oh. and now lives yeah. here in Canada. And for her, it's just night and day, right? Yeah. She's like, nobody asks me where I go to church and nobody cares. Nobody <laughs> wants to know um, that it never comes up. And yet there where she comes from, Religion is such a big yeah. part of their everyday life, it, of everything they do. And here, it just doesn't exist. Uh, and right. it's, and so she came to, you know, I have so much respect for her because she came to atheism in a in a. Oh, uh, Fraser, I have to let you go. <laughs> I have to let you go. The show, the show is over. Thank you for tuning in to Atheist Talk. We'd love you to join us again next Sunday when we have Mandisa Thomas, founder and president of Black Nonbelievers, who will be sitting here in this very studio. You're listening to Atheist Talk on AM 950, KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Mm-hmm.